Well, good morning. It's uh, such a great pleasure to be with you. Um, I just, uh, it's such a, a privilege, really, to be um, part of your church uh, and to come down here on a regular basis to see what you're doing and watching the church grow. I bring you greetings from Epicenter, where I'm the lead pastor in Pasadena. Uh, and, you know, we're just sisters, and we want to see the West Coast rock for Jesus. Amen. So, um, you know, today I want to talk about uh, knowing my father's heart. But first of all, I want to show you a picture of my family, uh, my amazing wife, Evelyn. We um, actually are quite connected with you guys. Uh, in, uh, you know, uh, Francesca Fromang is a daughter of Glenn and Jackie. My wife, Evelyn, has been discipling her. Um, my wife is actually not here because she's in France right now. They're doing a mission trip uh, where they're reaching out to unreached, unengaged uh, Muslims, uh, African, most of them African immigrants, and Roxanne Brown from your church is on our team. And so, you know, it's awesome. Um, and then my son Josh, who's right over here, is a swimmer for UCSD. He moved down here last year and loves the church. He's actually at a swim meet right now. He's going to be driving back and uh, will be part of the evening service. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've got lots of reasons to be invested in seeing that God's totally rocking this place here, you know. Um. You know, as, uh, as I grow older and uh, my hair gets a little whiter, uh, you know, when it was a little salt and peppery, people would ask me, wow, your hair is really cool. Did you um, get it dyed somewhere? No, I earned it. <laughs> but, you know, as, as Josh and I continue to grow our father-son relationship, I think it's just really important. And, um, you know, as we continue, as he continues to get older, he just moved back a, a week or two ago. We just find that we're more and more similar. I don't want to take uh, credit or blame for everything that he's all about, you know. Uh, but we just found there's this weird similarity between us in a lot of the ways we think about a whole bunch of things. And so we started, uh, you know, over this last year going, stop copying me, you know. Sometimes he'll say something and I'll go, stop copying me. I just had that thought. And sometimes I'll say it to him. And so, you know, um, in, in our, at our home, um, I've been... In my desk, I've been using an Office Depot table, a plastic table as my desk for the last five or six years, and I finally decided, you know, it's time for me to get a real desk. So I sat there, and I did a bunch of research. I'm like, I'm going to buy a door from Home Depot and put it up on some Ikea shelves so I can have this big, massive desk, you know? And so I sit there, and I, I went on the Internet and kind of looked at Ikea shelving and so forth. And then the next day, Josh texts me, and he's like, so I'm going to be moving into this new apartment. I need a desk. So I've been looking at the IKEA website because I want to build a desk. Stop copying me, right? It's this sort of thing that's happening all the time. And so, um, so I figured, okay, great. This summer is going to be a great time for us to kind of do this together because, I mean, he's got the Internet skills. You know, he's really good at typing. But in terms of actually working with wood, it's not something he's real good at. So we can do this together. And, you know, one of the things for me as a dad is as our kids continue to change, we as parents have to find ways to win their heart and be in relationship with them as they grow, you know, because like Legos doesn't do it anymore, right? <laughs> and so I figure this is going to be a great thing for us. And so, you know, so we go out to Home Depot and buy the door and, you know, get it damp in the, at home and we're staining it and all this sort of stuff. And so we get hungry and we're like, let's go out to the habit. So, you know, we go out and order our food. It comes out really quick and I'm totally starving, and I consume my three, my two chicken teriyaki burgers in three minutes. I look up, and he's eating his two hamburgers in two minutes. I, Stop copying me, you know, right? And then, um, you know, later, uh, we're hungry, and it's like, let's go out 
and what do you feel like eating? And I'm thinking street tacos. He's like, street tacos. Stop copying me, you know? So we go out to this, this place that has these great street tacos, and we're sitting there crunching on the tortilla chips, and I'm like, God, you know, the, the roof of my mouth, it's all sore. Am I getting sick or whatever? And I finally realized, you know, I think those burger, those, that chicken teriyaki thing I had from the habit, I think it was too hot, and it burned the roof of my mouth. And so I'm like, God. I, I, so I, I, you know, Josh is watching me. I'm like, I think I burned the roof of my mouth because I ate too fast. And it's like, it's all stories like, me too. Oh, stop copying me. Right? You know, there's this interesting thing as we get on older in our relationship where we find more and more similarities. Now, for some of you, you can totally relate to that, and it's an awesome thing. There are others for, of you for whom you're like, I, there's all kinds of things I got from my mom or my dad, and I, I wish I could get rid of it. And as I was praying uh, just before the service, I felt like the Lord wanted to say something to many of you on that. God has a deeper destiny to you than your mom and dad. And do not let that word be the controlling word in your life. I'm going to say more about that in just a minute. And then there's others of you who might be sitting there going, I, I wish I had a dad that did that to me. Pastor John, you don't know my life. You don't know about the absences and the isolation and the loneliness I had. Man, you're just making me feel bad. Well, I've got good news for you. Today, I think God's going to bring a word to us that's going to, each of us, no matter which sort of situation we're in, allow us to receive the Father's heart. So would you just pray with me? God, we ask that you come today. Open up our hearts by your revelation so we can receive the fullness of everything you have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I just want to um, speak a couple simple truths from the scriptures with some passages that talk about how we can know our Father's heart. The first one is from John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. John writes, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, how many of you would consider yourself believers? Okay, so this verse applies to you. And you know, what, the, what John says that's so interesting is this. If you're a son and daughter of God, you're born not of natural descent. What does that mean? What that means is that the reason you're here isn't just because of your mom and dad. Right? Let's say today's your birthday. Nine months before that, something happened. Okay, but before that, before you were a twinkle in your mama and daddy's eyes, God knew you. The reason why you're here is not simply because of natural descent or human decision or father's will, but you were born of God. Theologians say it this way, God is previous in your life. The story of your life does not begin with your mother and your father, all the great things they did, all the expectations they have, or the horrible things that happened when you were born in that family. You have a prior history before that, and it is born in the heart of God. I, I want you to turn to your neighbors, give them a high five, and say, You're a winner. Okay, and why am I saying this? We, 
You're, you guys are really into this. Let me explain why you're a winner. I, I have to be careful here. 280 million sperm. And you won. You beat the odds. But let me explain. It's not because you're the fastest swimmer, okay? The reason why you're a winner is because God's finger said, it's this one. This is the one I love. This one is perfect in my sight. You are a winner because God's finger is on your life because he chose you before the beginning of the world. There's not a one of us that don't need to hear this. You know, some of you, when you get married, some of you ladies who get married don't want to lose your maiden name, so you make it in your middle name, right? It's your middle name that signifies this was my previous identity and now I've got my married name. Well, you know what? Every single one of us as children of God have son of God or middle of, daughter of God as your middle name. It's your prior identity. Before you took on your parents' last name, God knew you. You're his son. You're his daughter. You were planned by him. And this has to be the basis of our identity. Here's the second thing from Psalm 139. You made all of my delicate, the inner parts of my body, and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. So before when you were born, God's finger was on you, and then his hand was on your mother's womb as you were knit together. This was not just some sort of random process, but the hand of God, the love of God, was on every single one of our lives. You know, in a, in a church like all people's, there are many of you that have been born in another country, and there in that place, God's hand was on you, over you, stewarding your life to bring you to where you are today. So God's planned you. He's knit you together And here's what's more. You have been created for relationship with him. You've been created for relationship with him. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 8, 15. The Apostle Paul writes in the voice translation, you see, you've not received a spirit that returns you to slavery, so you have nothing to fear. But the spirit you have received adopts you and welcomes you into God's own family. And that's why we call him Abba Father, as we would address a loving daddy. As we would address a loving daddy, every one of us has been given the spirit so that we are address, able to address him that way. I, I don't know if you know this. You know that little children, when they're born, come inbuilt by God and designed by God with a 19-inch focal length. That means their eyes don't focus very well at 15 or 16 inches or at 21 or 22 or 23 inches. It's 19 inches. You know why that is? When a mom or dad's holding them, 19 inches is the distance from that child's face to their parent's face. So you and I were made to look in the eyes of our mother and father. We find our identity in his gaze. Uh, here's what Bill Johnson 
uh, says about this. The place in our brain where we experience joy is activated at a very young age as infants by the exchange of looking into our parents' eyes and seeing their expression of joy over us. We need to gaze into our father's eyes. I show, let me show you a picture here. That, that was Josh when he was a little kid. You can see him looking right there. And, you know, you've had many of you that love kids. I mean, they're so amazing because they just sit there and look at you, right? Children are wound and made to look into the gaze of those who love them, to those who affirm them, to those who are meant to give them affirmation. And that's what makes them secure. You know, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, I spent a lot of time looking in my, in my son Josh's eyes, you know, as, as a kid. And then, you know, when he became two or three, sometimes he'd throw a tantrum, right? They, they called them terrific twos for a reason, right? And so he'd sit there and, you know, do this thing. And I, you know, I'd try and talk to him, and it just didn't sink in. And I, well, this one day I got this idea. I'm like, and so I snuck around and got down on my knees and looked down up at him to look into his eyes. And it was interesting. He... He'd go like this, and I'd sneak around to the other side and look at his eyes, and, and, and this is what he'd do. He'd like. <laughs> you know, there, I, I, it was interesting. There was something in the gaze between he and I that would turn his heart so it couldn't stay angry. And, and that's because, you see, you and I were made to find our identity and our truth in the gaze of our Heavenly Father. We're meant to find that place of identity. You are the one whose God's finger was on and whose hand was on you as you were being built, made. But as we grow, we're meant to be in face-to-face relationship with Him. And this is where we're meant to find our identity and our sense of who we are. But you know, here's the thing. If you and I haven't really figured this out, then we can become rootless and all kinds of things can take place because you want to get that gaze from somebody else. You might think because of the background you've had in whatever country or your family, you know, the mathematician Blaise Pascal said, every one of us is born with a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. And you see, what this means is that if we haven't learned to find ourselves in the gaze of the Father who loves us, we're going to try to find somebody else's gaze to affirm us. It's going to be some man. It's going to be some woman. Many of us have gone through this serially from one person to another trying to find that gaze that's going to finally put our hearts at rest. Or we'll try and find it in a job or by the size of our house or some other marker. But that deep, God-shaped vacuum can never be touched by outer things because you were made to live with the gaze of God to be your security. You know, I, I think this is why the enemy is working so hard in our day and age to mess up the idea of marriage because he wants sons and daughters to not have a loving father and a loving mother that are looking into their child's eyes to give them the security they need. This is what every one of us needs. And, you know, it's really the role of the church not simply to push for traditional marriages in some sort of political way, but to be the place where rocking, 
mom and dad relationships take place. So the world goes, whatever's in that couple, that's what I want. You know, we ought to be the salt and light that are not Trump just simply trumpeting in some sort of legal way, but living by our lifestyles, being the salt and the aroma, so people say, that's what I want. I'll align myself with whatever these guys have, because I see something in them. So we've been created for a relationship with him, and this is because God ultimately wants to affirm us. Read this verse in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus received from his heavenly Father. A voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter, and you give me great joy. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever... Um, Watch little kids on a swing or kids that are running, you know, some kids on a swing and they get up to about this high and then they're like, Daddy, did you see me? Yeah, I saw you. And they're like, watch me now, right? And it's like, look how high I can swing. Isn't that true? Because when we get the gaze of a father or mother that's affirming us and for us, then we think we can do more. Right? This is what the, it's what's at the basis of each of us as children. And, you know, let me just say this. We as adults, we don't say that anymore, you know, at least because we're more adultish, right? We know how to put on a mask, but it's still there, isn't it? That desire, am I doing the right thing? Daddy, am I doing the right thing? Daddy, am I beautiful? Daddy, do I have enough courage for today? That's still in us. And you see, you and I were meant to live in relationship, in that gaze of the Father's heart, so that we receive what we need from Him. Now, you know, we've, I've been talking about how children have this 19-inch distance, and how kids are on a swing, and when they see the joy on their father and mother's heart, how it caused them to want to do more. As you probably were, not every child in the world is born that way. There's children that have a little brain hiccup. It's called autism where they aren't able to bond in quite that way. And when a child's autistic, they have challenges because they're not completely rooted and they can get isolated and do things their own way. And the fact of it is, is that I think many people that have the intellectual apprehension of God can actually live autistic lives. We have acknowledge that there's a God out there, but we're actually not looking into his eyes. Our identity hasn't been formed by him. We're just kind of out there doing our own thing and asking God to kind of bless our mess. How's it working? And, and, and this is not a word of criticism, but I'm hoping to draw you in deeper to the way we're meant to live and receive that love of God. When we're meant to have FaceTimes, it's not to check off a box. It's to receive the strength that we need for the day. And, you know, there's some of you as moms that are like, I, I don't know what to do with my kids. I, I can't make it. I, I don't have time to spend 10 minutes with God. You know, I, it's just enough for me to have a little worship song as I'm cooking. For some of you as men, you're out there, you're get, having to get up early, you're working hard. You're thinking, how am I going to be able to be a light in this godless workplace that I'm at? You know, it's like, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know. Or maybe you feel like you're 
in this world that has this blazing inferno, and I've got my little squirt gun. You see, when we feel like we don't have enough for the world, you and I need to have a place where we can go back in to that 19-inch distance and receive affirmation and truth from God's heart. You know, I've been um, preaching for a couple years earlier on in the process. It was kind of scary for me because I'd often find myself up on a Sunday morning going, man, you know, this thing about preaching is really intimidating. I mean, what right do I have as a fallible human being to get up in front of a bunch of people and tell them what God's thinking? That's ridiculous. You know, and I'd sit there in the morning and like, i got to pull myself together, you know. And this, this one morning as I was sitting there in this space, the Holy Spirit showed me a picture. And it was a picture of uh, this painting I'd seen of this pastor. It was an older picture, a painting of this pastor with a suit and tie standing at a pulpit. And, and behind him, John the Baptist and Elijah and Moses were standing there with their hands on him. And it gave him courage. And, and I remember, you know, the Holy Spirit showing me this picture and then showing me the picture of my father, who at that time had just passed away, who was a pastor. And my grandmother, who spent many years praying for me, with them standing behind it. And, and it just brought comfort to my soul. I mean, you know, you and I can just try and pull ourselves together emotionally and get up for the day. But if we've got a a father who knows us and loves us, whom we can go to, who can give us right just what we need, we can change the world. See, and it's, it's this place of coming into the challenges of life as a son or daughter who's loved by God. And that's because you've not only been created for relationship with God, but it's because he wants to affirm you. And so, you know, again, when we don't receive this, when we don't get that well done from our Father, we're going to look in all kinds of other places. And this is where we get into trouble Wanting and thinking that the well done that we receive from the boss or the wife or the husband is what we really need. And we can place undue expectations on people that are really meant for the Lord himself. Psalm 139 teaches us that God has precious thoughts about us. It says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. How precious are your thoughts about me. And so how important is it for us to get in that place with God and let the fullness of what God's thinking about us come out. You know, I, I think there's probably many of you that, um, you know, at a certain point in your life, you've you got your Facebook friends, and you're posting all kinds of things, and your friends get married, and then they have kids, and it's like all of a sudden, it's just chock full of baby pictures, like there's nothing going on in their life, right? And you're like, man, what's up with that? You know, don't you have a life anymore? And then you have kids, and all of a sudden, oh, now I understand, and I, I posted 256 pictures of my daughter today. I've got to stop it, <laughs> right? Why is that? Because when we love a child, our hearts overflow with feelings and thoughts for them. And you see, what David says is, our Father is full of precious thoughts about you. He's full of precious thoughts about the things that you're going through. And let me explain. I mean, many of us actually are kind of afraid to come to God because we're afraid we know that we've sinned. 
But here's what we read in the book of 1 Corinthians. God not only sees your sin, but he loves you with a love that is not easily, easily angered. Your father loves you with a God that keeps, with a love that keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. And he always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. And he always perseveres. He will not let you go. I just want to take a minute. Would you um, just close your eyes and open up your hands? I'm going to give you just a minute or two to get into that 19-inch space and let your father look into your eyes. My son, my daughter, I've been with you before you in your mother's womb, and I love you. I am the one who has knit you together, and I love you. You were made for relationship with me, and I love you. I want to affirm you because I have precious thoughts about you. I love you. All right, open your eyes. You know, this is what the basis of FaceTime is all about. It's Moses meeting with God and him speaking to him as a father, as a man speaks with his friend. It's that eye-to-eye contact that's got to be at the basis of who we are. It's so important because um, we learn in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 31.6 that God, our Father, gives us his presence. Be strong and courageous to the people of Israel. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, the enemies, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. You know, I think lots of us, I mean, the Facebook's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because how many of you have more than 1,000 friends on Facebook, right? Got all kinds of friends and friends of friends of friends. And Facebook is this really interesting thing because it's, it's a curated identity, right? We don't post everything that's going on. We post things that make us look cool. Oh, look, I, look, at, look at what I did. Look who I'm with. I saw this, thing, this really cool thing. Look at this food I'm eating or whatever. It's a curated identity that kind of gives this picture about who we are. And then on the other side, you got this button that says like. You don't unlike things. You only like it. So it's this sort of fake book, right? Because it's not really real. Right? And so we have all kinds of friends. You and I can be filled with friends. We can live our life on Facebook, on the internet, or even with people as if our life is like, I'm on a Japanese subway, you know. But then in our hearts, you might feel like you're on a boat 
on a raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean by yourself. It's this gap between our curated identity and the truth of who we are. And I mean, we all have fears. We all have this sense that I, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough grace. I don't have the strength. I don't have the courage for what's in front of me. But see, this is where we need to be the ones that are in the swing to realize Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's that gaze in his sight that gives us strength for the day. Now, you know, what's really interesting about this is that I think you and I actually know these truths. We know them, but there's still this gap that we experience. You know, Adam and Eve were like that. God created them. He uh, created them, and they had this great experience with God. You know, he says, I have made you. I love you. I'm going to give you some meaningful work. And so it's like, here come the animals, and what do you want to name them? Hippopotamus, zebra, frog, striped frog, green frog, red frog, spotted frog, you know, whatever. And they go, here's all these animals, and okay, we named them in Hebrew. Now let's try Acadian. Let's try French, you know. So they have this interesting job where they're called as co-heirs with God to bring order to a world of chaos. But then they eat from the fruit and something happens. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve made like they went to Paris and made the fig leaf clothing, right? So they're in there hiding and God comes out and he says, Adam, where are you? Question. Did God know the answer to that question? Of course he did. This was not a directional question because God has GPS, God's positioning system, right? He knows exactly where they are. He's like, right there. But what's going on here is God is asking not an informational question but a relational one. There's a distance that Adam and Eve have created between themselves and God. Uh, You know, we got, um, I'm I'm sure many of you have kids like this, this great young four-year-old in our church by the name of Lydia. She's one of those kids that, like, everybody on the earth is a peer. If President Obama showed up, she'd be like, hey, you should do this, you know? And uh, so, you know, her parents are, are telling me this one day. She's like, you know, we walked in, we came in from, or from doing something, whatever, and we hear this voice, don't come in here. Of course, they went in there. She's got this whole thing of tum she's eating. <laughs> this is really yummy. You don't do that. But, but see, what's happening is, in her heart, she knows there's something awry, and so she creates distance from her parents. Many of us, we actually live with the knowledge that God is for us, but there's a distance that we've created. Sometimes it's because of sin in our life. And we think that our sin puts us outside the reach of God's love. Sometimes there's a mindset that you or I might have, perhaps started by your, heaven, your earthly father or earthly mother whose love was conditional. So that you think that whatever it is that you're going through, the thoughts that are in your head, the mistakes that you've made are too ugly for the grace of God. And the question that I think God is often asking is, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? It's not an informational question. It's a relational one. Have 
you stepped away either because of inattention or some flaw in your thinking from the heart and the love of the God who knows you. Chances are, if you have it, it's not going very well. Because you see, we are only meant to find those things in the heart of God. You know, I often find uh, that this is the case in my own life. And I have to daily be in my face time with God so that he can fill me. Otherwise, I don't have the strength and courage I need for my day. And I can't be the dad and the husband that I need to be for my wife and my son. You know, uh, a number of years ago, I had this, this dream. Uh, it was a dream of Josh getting lost. You know, he's, again, he's a swimmer. And I had this dream where he, I, I took him to some swim meet, and I woke up, I, or in my dream, I was looking for him. He wasn't in the locker room, and I started running around going, Josh, Josh, where are you? And I, I ran from place to place trying to find him. I couldn't find where I was. And I woke up, and I was sweating. And so I went out to my room and went off, walked down the hall and opened the door. You know, it's like 3.30 in the morning, and I, oh, he's there, you know. So I gently sat myself on the bed, and I placed one hand on his heart and one hand on his head. God, I thank you for my son. I thank you how much you love him. Lord, would you fill him, protect him, fill him with your strength, let him know you. And then all of a sudden, Josh is like, Dad, I can't sleep like this. (laughs) Okay, the moment's over. You see, but that's the heart of a father that's waiting. Where are you is not, where are you? It's, where are you? Come back. Come back. I, I want to close with the story of uh, a young man by the name of Derek Redmayne. He's a, a young man full of hope and promise who experienced something very profound in the midst of sudden disappointment. Uh, something that I think reveals something very deep about the Father's heart, the, father, the heart of our Heavenly Father. Uh, in August of 1992... Uh, British, uh, this guy Derek Redman, lined up for the semifinal heat in the men's 400-meter uh, race in Barcelona, Spain. The top four qualifiers in the heat were going to go uh, to the, the finals the next day. There was an American by the name of Quincy Watts uh, who ended up becoming a congressman. Uh, but Derek was the fastest man of Eng- in England, but he'd had this series of devastating injuries. In uh, 1988, he had a great chance of winning the gold medal at the Seoul Games, but he had to pull out minutes before the race because he tore his Achilles, hin- uh, uh, tore his Achilles tendon. And over the next three years, he kept having a series of injuries which caused him to have six different surgeries. People kept telling him he should quit, but he said, you know, I learned something from my dad when I start something, i got to finish it. Well, he broke through in 1991 where he was part of a 4x400 relay uh, team from Great Britain that upset the Americans in the Commonwealth Games. And, you know, there was some concern about his health, but, you know, in the first couple rounds of the Olympics, uh, he was doing great. So, uh, you know, watching in the stands is his father, Jim. His dad, his best friend, but also his coach. And let's just tune in here.
father sees his son, bulls his way past the race officials, reaches out to Derek, and Derek doesn't know who he is, and he says, it's me, dad. We started this thing together. We'll finish it together. I, I don't know what exactly, what kind of experience you've had with your earthly father, whether it's been warm and you've been loved on well, whether your dad was scary, whether he spoke things that were hurtful and injurious to your persons or whether he was just absent. But here's the good news of the gospel. 
before you began. God had this idea in his heart. And it was you. And his hand was on you in your mother's womb. And you are not defined simply by your childhood. You are not simply a product of your mom and dad's decision-making or their failings. Because God's got a deeper story that runs underneath all those other stories. And he wants to give you hope and redeem that for you today. Would you just stand? Let's have Stephen come on out. I, you know, I had a couple words I felt like the Lord wanted me to share. First of all, I think there are many of you who uh, just need the blessing of a father. And so let's just have our ministry team come right down here and some older dads come down. We just want to leave space for you. We've got a couple minutes where we can just pray the blessing of a father over you. Some of you who've never received that. For some of you who are sons, I felt like the Lord say there are some of you And you've had this thing, I mentioned it earlier, you've had this thing in your head that said you're going to be just like your father. Maybe your mother said it, maybe somebody else said it, maybe it's been some fear. And perhaps you're the son or daughter of a a promiscuous relationship and you're like, I don't want to get married because I don't want to do that to anybody else what I experienced. Listen, God has a deeper destiny for you. You are not defined by the failings of your earthly father because you've got a middle name son of God and for some of you who are daughters I I felt like the Lord wanted to say to some of you you don't have to live that way you've been scrounging living a life scrounging for attention you don't have to live that way because I see you and you're beautiful in my sight let me wash away the stain of your shame So if you want to receive the Father's blessing or maybe one of these specific words is ringing true to your heart, come down. We want to pray for you as Stephen leads us in worship as a church.